out of the frying pan and into the fucking fire. <laughs> this week's going off podcast, Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> we, we, we gotta talk about your boy, your boy, Aziz Ansari. Ah, uh, man, if we weren't talking about sexual assault, I'd put the hip-hop air horns in there, but unfortunately we are, so I can't. <laughs> um... Just when you fucking do the, your boy, it's like, man, you just expect to hear that shit. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Aziz sorry is not getting a fucking rap air horn salute on this goddamn <laughs> podcast. Not in 2018. Let, let's talk about it, though, because we have gone from, you know, the Harvey Weinstein case where it's like, here's a guy who is very explicitly a monster. There is nothing relatable about what he's doing. There is absolutely no need to defend his actions in any capacity, right? Like, when he did what he did, and you hear those recordings, like, this is someone who, like, he obviously doesn't care about this woman. He's obviously just using her for sex. He does not care about her opinion. It's just, come here and do this, and I'll give you this part, right? Going from that case to this case is kind of like going from... You know, uh, slavery is bad, and we understand that slavery is bad, but Jim Crow laws and civil rights, you know, violations, like, those things are still things, and they're not as explicitly bad as the slavery thing, but they're things we still need to parse out and talk about and dissect. I want to say straight up right now, Aziz Ansari should not be put in the same vein as a Harvey Weinstein. First of all, he does not have nearly the amount of power. And in the specific case, he's not really using his power in any capacity to be like it's not like he was like, hey baby, if you just shut up and let me do this, you'll you'll get in Master of None season three or whatever the fuck. Like it wasn't like that at all. Let's talk about the particulars of what the situation was, right? This website called Babe. I've never fucking heard about this shit at all. Yeah, I hadn't heard positive things about it. People just have kind of described it as like almost like a tabloid or just kind of like a over-glorified blog. It's a very different story, and I just wanted to backtrack for just a second because you brought up Harvey Weinstein, and the Me Too campaign, I think, started shortly after the Harvey Weinstein thing. As far as the exposing the corruption and the misogyny and the sexism and the sexual assault that's running rampant in the entertainment business, Harvey Weinstein was the face of that because a he's an extremely powerful person he can end careers if he wanted to if anyone dared speak out he could sue them he could blacklist them from entertainment industry altogether oh and let's not forget let's not forget that he was having fucking uh spies and shit like that sent after the people that he had abused to make sure they never came forward he had extreme intimidation tactics and he also had networks on his side most notably nbc that was burying news stories and helping protect him but the biggest thing that harvey weinstein had was proof the evidence people saw this because you don't always have that you know a lot of it is someone comes forward with an accusation and either i've seen this 90 percent of the time like your James Franco's, your Andy Dick's, your Max Landis. Accusations come out, 90% of Twitter goes, this is my surprised face. You know, people like, yeah, that's a creep. I could totally see that. Or, yeah, people have been saying that for years. 
But at that point, it was just people were saying things for years. As far as the Harvey Weinstein thing goes, people saw that as a solid enough of a foundation, a jumping off point, because there was evidence there. Because the main thing that people will argue against when people do come forward with sexual assault is, well, where's your proof? We can even go about that and do a whole different thing because that's the absolutely wrong way to go about that. In this one case, it was, here it is. You could listen to it. You could listen to decades worth of people talking about this. But with Aziz Ansari, it's different because, like you said, he's an actor. He is a minority, so he doesn't have nearly as much power. And this wasn't in the context of the industry. This was something that someone was doing in their free time. And as far as what we're talking about with Babe, this was talked about in one of the articles that you shared with me. And I just want to let people know that we've read like six or seven articles about this. And we have two albums to talk about this week, so we can't spend forever on it. But we do want to talk about a few of the aspects of it. What One of the articles that you sent me today made an excellent point about why this story was went about incorrectly compared to others with Roy Moore and Harvey Weinstein and all these other high-profile stories. It's people going to trusted, big-name publications, big news outlets, and then the news outlet does the investigation, digs up more dirt, does more interviews, brings more people together, builds the story to where there is no arguing. It's just... Here it is. Here are all the names, all the shit that went down. This is why this person is scum. And the people listening and reading, it's harder for them to dispel it because it's like, well, shit. What really hurt that article was what other people have decided to nitpick on how poorly the article was written. And while that definitely isn't something that you should really be focusing on because it's not what's important here, it does make the article feel less credible it it makes it feel it as someone who is a writer i can hear moments of emotional manipulation doing certain things to like precondition you to not liking aziz ansari it's not like the story said hey i wanted to order a burger and he said uh no you will not have a burger she'll have a salad like if it was something like that I, i would be like okay that's bullshit at his, you know, that's him being a douchebag. Guys do that, you know, a lot. That is a common thing that women talk about. You know, this guy thinking that he knows what's best for me. But in this case, it was just like, he ordered a wine. It's not what she wanted, but she didn't say anything. So how is he supposed to know? I don't need that information to know what the rest of the story is. Especially when it's being framed like this and reported like this. At the bare bones of this, Aziz Ansari met this woman who has chosen to be anonymous um, because she isn't someone in the limelight. She is just someone that was at an award show, was taking photos, met Aziz Ansari, they hit it off, they went back to his apartment, and it just played out from there. I understand how someone reading this could be like, hey, you know, if someone goes back to your apartment and you're hanging out, you might think that this person might want to be down for something, but you can't assume and play off on that line of thinking. That's why asking for consent is so important. Making sure that this is what the other person wants 100% of the time. Asking multiple times, no matter how many times 
these fucking articles are going to tell you that that kills the intimacy or it kills the spontaneity. You know, I'm not saying like every second of a day you need to be like, are you okay with me holding your hand? Are you okay with me doing it? No, not necessarily. Use your best judgment. <laughs> if you're on a date with someone and you see that, hmm, this person's acting kind of despondent, you should check in. You should do things like we need to create a culture in which men should be trying to make sure that someone is comfortable because that's ultimately what you want. You want someone to want to be with you, right? You don't want it to just be like, come over here, let me do what I want with you. No, the idea is that we're enjoying each other's company and I'm doing this because I'm hoping that, uh, you know, whatever advancement I do is going to be something that you're going to like. Which is what makes that one headline that I had seen one of the most irritating things in this whole uh, the whole story that was headlined, Aziz Ansari is guilty of not being a mind reader, which made me eye roll so fucking hard because that is so dismissive. That, that's a hot take line because it's like, I get what you mean in one respect. You know, I, I'm actually kind of on Aziz Ansari's side for most of the story, right? But it specifically comes to when they started having sex and then stopped, and then he tried to initiate it again. I'm specifically not on his side in that instance. Like, and a lot of people responding to these stories, of course, they're responding with their own experience, right? Oh, I, I've been on a date where something similar has happened. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, I think we can all agree that if you start making out with someone and then they tell you to stop, and then later on in that evening, you are in any capacity trying to put a finger down their throat, if I want someone to go on another date with me if i want someone to like me and i put an advance on them right because this this has happened before i put an advance on somebody and they're like oh hey stop i don't want that to happen and then you go like oh i'm sorry my bad you chill the fuck out so you know say i like punch you in the arm because i'm just, i'm just joking around with you right like ah you know fuck out of here abuse you asshole you know i punch you in the arm first time you might be like all right could you not do that i've always heard that if someone does something to you after you've said that you don't like it you technically have the right to sue that person now you might not have a great case but you can do it someone has specifically told you your right to do this thing has ended now i have told you that this is not allowed and for you to do that anyway is officially infringing upon someone's right. You know what I'm saying? My right to enjoy being in my space. When it comes to like, to have the confidence to feel that you can shove your fingers down someone's throat, feels like a particularly egregious, like, no, 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 no. That is where you fucked up. To think that you, you could do that, you know? Now, it wasn't fucking, oh, take your fucking clothes off, I'm gonna do what I want, no. And there was, and like I said, there was an element of, well, she wanted to go on this date. You know, she wanted to do this. She wanted to do all these things. You know, it's not that she did not want to be with him. It's not like she was doing this out of obligation to, well, if I don't go on a date with him, oh, who knows where my career could have gone. You know what I'm saying? It was purely, I like this dude, thought he was cool, went out on a date with him. Man, he's not really responsive to me. I feel like he's not really, you know, caring about me. And so fuck it. I don't want to go on another date with this person. If it was framed like that, that'd be fine. But what I feel like ultimately this article is trying to do is frame it in the in that uh, grander scheme of the Me Too thing. And, and then when she told him, when she told him, see, and here's the specific difference. I'll, I'll put it to you like this. When Harvey Weinstein was told, no, no, I don't want to do this. No, please stop. He was like, oh, just do it. Just do it. Just come along. Just come along with me and just do it. And, you know, like I said, you listen to that fucking recording. It's fucking disgusting. But for him, when she texted him and she said, hey, I didn't like this at all. 
you know, I wasn't enjoying this at all. He was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry. I I didn't mean to. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, oh, man, you're exaggerating. Oh, calm down. It wasn't that bad. He did not minimize the way she felt when she told him the truth. I agree, but he already did it, so fuck that. I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> but how how someone reacts after being called out for being a complete gross scumbag pervert on a date is completely irrelevant, in my opinion, because the damage has already been done. And as far as, oh, you know, it was just fingers in the mouth, it was just, oh, touching his penis, all of this, it doesn't have to be penetration to be rape. It doesn't have to be penetration to be sexual assault. And I don't care if it was for power or not, This is a glimpse as to how this person is when people aren't looking. To me, this is even, this is almost a bigger problem because with Harvey Weinstein, people knew, right? That's what everyone loves to mention is that, oh, people joked about this shit on 30 Rock. People joked about it at an award show. Harvey Weinstein knew that people knew, right? This was in an apartment when he he thought that nobody else would ever find out and is a glimpse into how he probably is on dates normally, which leads me to believe that Grace isn't the only person he's done this to. And I, I saw this one article that said, you know, this is, this is a hit piece on a young person of color. Let's go all the way back to fucking Michael Jackson, who have talked about this shit before, too. Part of me, at the time, I thought that was a bunch of bullshit. When I was, what? in my teens and I heard about that, I was like, nah, this definitely feels like a smear or whatever. Now, in fucking 2018 glasses, it feels like a nation of people not wanting to believe child accusers. Right, right. We're looking at the the Corey Feldman case. Oh, yeah. If you saw the video of him on The View, mm-hmm. when he first said... The View of all places. When he said that there were powerful men in the industry who have molested children for decades, and Barbara Walters, of all people, was like, you know, you're potentially damaging careers by saying this. Yeah, you're keeping young people from going into the industry. That's what's important to you right now, Babs? Yeah. Holy shit, for real? How long have you been in the fucking industry, Barbara Walters? Like, fucking, was it Sharon Stone was asked if she had ever encountered sexual assault or sexual harassment in the industry and she just laughed and she said i've been in the industry for 40 years i've seen it all because can she said can you imagine how much worse it was 40 years ago when nobody was listening absolutely nobody would even think about listening but see you know what i think happens though see now people want to go you know jump on meryl streep and be like Oh, well, you're a shitty person because you didn't help this whole this whole time. You could have helped and you didn't. And it's like, all right, let's relax. Because honestly, we like as much as we all want to think that, well, if I was in Meryl Streep's shoes, I would have been the perfect good person <laughs> and reported to the police. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, would have. It's not about looking at individual people, especially when it comes to what other people could have done in reaction to them. I think that's not as important as looking at how can we turn this into an industry where that is not the norm. Because the thing is, it's not like Meryl Streep was the person who said, hey guys, it's okay to rape young starlets. You know what I'm saying? She she just came up in the industry where it's like, wow, no one gives a shit. 
okay, well, I want to do my thing, so I need to fucking keep my head down and keep going forward. And maybe, you know what, if I work long enough, maybe I can make an industry in uh, my little pocket of the industry where I can make things better for women. Okay, I've had to deal with this industry where women have been, where it's just the norm for women to be treated like shit. I can't spend my whole fucking life trying to save everyone when, how do I know people are even going to be, there's even going to be a structure to help me should I try to come forward with something and then, you know what I'm saying? Motherfuckers try to take me down. I think it goes back to, like, I'm going to use, for example, Oprah, when it seemed exactly when Oprah had even hinted at possibly running for office, people started circulating the pictures of her and Harvey Weinstein saying she knew what he was up to, she's a terrible person. The one thing that I had heard, and this made a lot of sense to me, was that this is, and th- th- this might sound disconnected, this might seem selfish, but in in a way I don't think it is, where this is the story to be told by the people who had this experience, right? And I think it's like if someone outs someone is being gay without their consent, right? That That's not up to you to do. That's for when that person feels comfortable in doing it. So if someone, if Meryl Streep were to randomly go, hey, you know, I know all these people, Harvey Weinstein sexually assaulted and just gave a fucking laundry list, that's putting someone on the spot. That's making someone who already felt assaulted and victimized now feel that much more vulnerable and put on the spot because now people are all going to be hounding this person for interviews and all of this shit that they might not have been ready to talk about, which is the most infuriating part of this Aziz Ansari thing to go back to it, where a lot of the people criticizing, or at least one of the more, like a few of the more uh, public faces are women criticizing this person for coming forward, the main one being, and I forget her name, she's an anchor on Headline News, took a five-minute segment of her show, uh, Crime and Justice, to criticize Grace, saying, you're chipping away the Me Too movement that has, we waited so long for it, and you're taking it apart because you had a bad date, and everyone has bad dates. And I saw one person on Twitter say, you know, quoting these people as to say, well, you know, if Grace was sexually assaulted on her date, most of the women I know were sexually assaulted. And it was end quote and said, you're this close to understanding it. You're right. <laughs> most of the women you know probably have gone under this. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, it's like, I mean, yeah. Why does that make it bad for this person to shine the light on this? One person had said... These people, these women, aren't mad at Grace because they don't believe her. They do believe her, but it's tapping into a part where I think a lot of people might be dealing with denial or the post-traumatic stress of having gone through this experience of they don't want to accept or admit to themselves, oh shit, I was raped. I didn't think of it like that until now. Right, right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just as important. I don't care if it's not part of the Me Too campaign, because now the way she says, you're chipping away at the Me Too campaign, that's saying, this is important, your case isn't. Like, what, just because it's not part of the Me Too campaign, it's not valid? I I see what you're saying. 
Just because I'm saying a celebrity went on a shitty date with me and forced me to do all of these different things that I said and hinted at multiple times that I didn't want to do, just because he isn't some powerful guy in the industry, and just because it was on a date, and he had nothing to hold over my head, that makes it okay now? The problem isn't that mentality of, let me just be passive so I can get it over with. No, the problem is people who who do not listen to women and don't care. So that's the bigger problem. And if you're a guy and you're out there and you're like, ah, why is she being so sensitive with this and the third? You have to understand, it's not about you. That's the thing that a lot of people need to hear. It's not about you. It's about the myriad of guys that she has experienced that did not give a shit about how she felt. So if you are someone who cares about how uh, a girl you like feels, which you should. You should care about the person that you're you're with. Even if it is like, even if you're not in a relationship, even if you're just like, hey, I just want to have sex, but I think you're a cool person. You know, whatever. Even if that's the case, you should still care about how they feel. And if you don't, you should not be pursuing a romantic relationship with anybody. The impetus is on you to create a situation in which the person that you're talking to feels comfortable enough to let you know if, if that they don't want to do something that you want to do. Communication is crucial both ways. Ask questions often and listen most importantly because like you said before, a lot of these women who feel like, you know, this is going to happen, I just got to keep my head down or whatever. That is the saddest part, but in addition to that is when someone like Grace does come forward and does endure something like this and is then met with people going, well, why didn't you get up and leave? That doesn't help anything. On top of all this, compassion is paramount. Compassion for the people actually taking the time because it's not just people facing blacklisting from the industry and facing all this type of intimidation. It's just sometimes women are afraid of guys. And that is why it's on men to really fucking step back and address that. It isn't about how great of a guy you are, how unrapist-like you are. That's not important. It's not about patting yourself on the back. It's about making the situation as comfortable for your partner as possible. And all of this, they knew, she knew, why didn't you get up and leave? All this shit does nothing but silence and intimidate people from coming forward and speaking out about their experiences. Every person I've shared, I've seen share that picture of Oprah and Harvey Weinstein. I don't believe for a second that they give a shit about the Me Too campaign or about any of this. These people are 100% hell-bent on turning people against each other, turning women against each other, taking people who were survivors of sexual assault and turning them against survivors of sexual assault and in turn silencing these people so more men can get away with more assault. That doesn't help anybody. It takes immense bravery to come forward and talk about things, even if it is a quote-unquote bad date, because there is a lot on the line. Because look at this. Now this person is being shit-talked on headline news by a woman. People need to take a step back, realize where this anger is coming from. You know, is it from a past experience you dealt with? If so, it's horrible that you had to endure that, but... Now, maybe is the time to address that, reflect on that, and be like, well, shit, maybe what I went through is similar. Maybe I do actually owe this person a good bit of compassion and empathy and not be so quick to judge. This week on the Going Off Podcast, we are reviewing 
two Patreon-requested albums. If there is an album that you would like to hear us talk about, head on over to either patreon.com muse or patreon.com slash rapcritic for details. First, we're taking a look at Robbie Williams' I've Been Expecting You, requested by Dino Brewster. Uh, either 1998 or 1999, uh, this album came out. It was a name I had, uh, remembered, uh, mainly for the song Millennium. Just that music, it just sounded so good. The the falling line, you know, of course, later finding out that it was actually a, uh, a slight remake of, it was like a remake quote sample of, uh, I think you only live twice or something like that. Oh, okay. It was a remake of a Bond theme. Oh, shit. Okay. An orchestral, yeah, an orchestral version of a Bond theme. And I was like, yo, you know what? I totally hear that. And it's, and it's sort of dope in that way. And, you know, you kind of hear it. It uses like the hip hop drums in the background, but it's sampling this orchestral thing. And it's just like a fusion of these different styles. Like, it is so late 90s. Like, I don't know how else to describe it except for late 90s as fuck. It's, it's very late 90s, but a lot of what I'm hearing Robbie Williams do back in 98, 99, you would later hear from pop artists around like, the mid-2000s. So you're saying he was ahead of the curb. He really was. Um, It reminded me a little bit of, like, what you'd hear from the Plain White Tees or, uh, oh my god, uh, fucking James Blunt. My life is brilliant. Yeah, my life is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it. It's such like a, like, how do you start a song with a line like that? Like, <laughs> my life is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care if your whole the whole point of the song is like, oh, it's not about me. It's supposed to be like sort of like you know the, a character who meets a girl on a train. You still sound like a fucking douchebag when you start up your song with "My Life Is Brilliant." What's that? What's that song by uh, Rihanna? It's like she just starts out with "Sex with Me Is So Amazing." <laughs> like, like, you know, oh, okay, someone. Someone with whom sex is amazing doesn't need to say something that plainly. I forgot how much I goddamn love that song, Millennium. It is honestly kind of fucking incredible. Like, <laughs> just listening back to it, I watched the music video, which was apparently shot on uh, the sets where they shot some of the James Bond video uh, movies. The song, as far as I can interpret, seems to be about uh, Epicurean nihilism. And it's like, there's this sense of like, I'm just gonna enjoy life and do whatever I want. Like, this is like a, like the trust fund anthem sort of song. Cause this is like, we're just gonna enjoy life and do whatever. Cause we know it doesn't mean anything. We're all gonna fucking die and no one's gonna care. And we're just gonna die and life's just gonna go on without us. So fuck it. Let's just enjoy it. The stars are controlling our fate. Whatever. I just happen to be born with. Fuck it. I'm gonna enjoy it. I don't feel real fulfillment in life. So I might as well just enjoy the, the, the hedonistic pleasures that I can get. You know what I'm saying? Um, can I tell you a funny story about Millennium, though? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, go on. When I was a kid, um, yeah, because I was, like, 11 when that came out, um, and you know when you're a kid and you listen to songs and you don't 100% know what the lyrics are because you don't yeah, think yeah. to look that shit up? In the chorus, when he says, um, the stars determine our fate. I think that was the line. When I was a kid, I thought he was saying, so we'll shove the eggs in our face. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, it's the millennium. Let's celebrate. But eating eggs. <laughs> what the fuck? 
<laughs> that and it's because up until when I listened to the album for the review, that was what I thought the fucking line was because I hadn't listened to the song <laughs> since then. And then I was like, oh, he totally doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got eggs we shove in our face. Let's shove the <laughs> eggs in our face. I totally <laughs> thought that was the goddamn line. Dude, I thought it was going to be that. I was like, all right. I mean, I like the song. I don't really know how I'm going to feel about a whole album of this guy. But you know what? Uh, Robbie Williams is actually kind of a, like, an enjoyable dude. The songs have a maturity to them, which you don't really hear much in pop music. And it's like, I don't, I, I feel like, like, there's nothing wrong with being pop music, but I feel like calling this album pop is kind of a slight. Like, there's a lot of different genres being explored on here. My thing is, with pop music, like, pop isn't really a genre when you think about it. It's only what is popular at the time. And, you know, right now hip-hop is popular, so a lot of songs made by quote-unquote pop artists are going to sound more hip-hop and dubstep. Fucking country's doing that shit. This album is a fusion of all of the styles that were really big at, at the time. Or, or an experimentation with styles that were popular at the time. You know, that's kind of what good pop is, you know? Because, like, you know, Michael Jackson's uh, uh, Thriller album isn't really one genre. It's it, it's like, it's a bunch of them. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it, it's a fusion of things. And that's why we sort of give up and just call it pop. Because it's like, yeah. I don't know, it's really good and it's really popular. <laughs> you know? Now, I do get an explicitly... Um, how did I say it? 60s psychedelia in a way that I can only describe as super 90s. Yeah, it, it's weird. Especially that Jesus in a camper van song. I don't think I heard that one because for me, it was replaced with a different song. Uh, Jesus in a camper van had an uncleared sample in it. So when they re-released oh. the album, they had to replace it with another song so for me it was a song called it's only us and i didn't get to hear jesus in a camper van but now i'm reading that he was like writing it when he was in rehab and shit and it's like fuck i really wish i would have heard that one but i didn't (laughs) but it's only us wasn't bad either you know but i wish i would have heard that because something i like so much about this album is how personal it gets at times like especially in millennium there's lines in there that's like you know for this you know, we're going to call it a pop song because it was played on top 40 radio stations or whatever. It was in that heavy rotation. It's fucking deep for a pop song, you know? Like, this album, despite sounding cheery at times, it's not really. <laughs> like, it, it, it gets dark, you know? It, it, it deals with a lot of, um, it deals with a lot of emotion. A lot of the songs deal with, you know, loneliness and all of that. And it's... I think it would have done way better over here in the States if it were released later. Like, 98 in the States? You're fucking competing against, like, in the pop vein, like Britney Spears, Sync, Backstreet Boys. Like, there was no way that other songs from this album were gonna see heavy rotation. It, uh, unless it was, like, competing with, uh, like, adult contemporary or alt-rock, like, Fastball or tall Bachman, you know, a lot of those like one hit wonder groups that had a rock edge 
but also somehow fit in top 40 radio. That's the only place I could see him fitting in. <laughs> right, right. And it doesn't help that he's British also, so they always seem to f- try to find a niche for British artists because it's, a, you know, it's different. So he's got to be a little quirky, you know, like, ugh. But this album isn't quirky, you know? It's very, it's very serious, very mature. There's only one song on here that I felt was kind of kitschy, and that was Man Machine. Uh, I, I would actually say the, the very first song. I, I liked it as it went on, but the first verse was just weird, man. How did the first like, verse go? I don't remember. The, it starts off with, my breath smells of a thousand fags. Now, I know what he means. We know what that means, because he's British. <laughs> yeah, he means cigarettes, but yeah, that's, that is quite the interesting, my life is brilliant. it's a very interesting uh opening line for the first song on the album as he's singing he doesn't sound british let's just get that out of the way he very explicitly doesn't sound british Mm. so to employ these like sort of specific euphemisms that are like (laughs) british things like it doesn't work when you're saying it with an american accent you know what i'm saying yeah i hadn't thought about that that's what was throwing me off. So, like, like, my breath smells of a million bags. It's just like, what? Why? Why did you say? And then, like, he says, and when, I, and when I'm drunk, I dance like me dad. Oh, yeah. If you were saying that with a British accent, like, my ear understands that, oh, yeah, sometimes British people, you know, more, more cockney motherfuckers, they, they use me instead of mine. Yeah. But it's like, when you're speaking with that American accent, we don't say me like that. Right. So, to say... When I'm drunk, I dance like me dad. Like, you sound like a fucking pirate now. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're doing you know? a fucking gimmick. And then he says, and early morning when I wake up, I look like Kiss, but without the makeup. First of all, no, you don't. No, he he look he looks fine. Maybe first thing in the morning, he looks more haggard. He looks like fucking Gene Simmons in 2000-whatever. But, nah, he's a very handsome dude. Or bloke, if, if I dare say. If I gotta use <laughs> British... Uh, slang now but then he says like uh you know early morning when i wake up i look like a kiss I look like kiss all the makeup and that's a good line to take it to the bridge like what the, the fuck are you doing <laughs> hey like what, this isn't a james brown song <laughs> you, you know <laughs> you know how i took that because what <laughs> again some sometimes my brain just like i guess perceives lyrics or takes lyrics in differently when you said it it was like, oh yeah, he means the bridge of the song. I get that now. When he was saying, I look like Kiss without the makeup, and that's a good line to take to the bridge, I in my head was like, I look like shit, I'm gonna throw myself off a bridge. <laughs> oh shit, I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> so I was like, oh man. But it's like, oh yeah, he means to the bridge. Like, I didn't think about that. All yeah, right. I just- <laughs> Sometimes I just, I don't know. I, maybe I don't put enough thought into it or it is like in the case of last week where i was fucking crucified for thinking party up was about eminem for heaven forbid i misinterpreted a dmx song from 20 years ago but it's like yeah sometimes you know sometimes it's more common sense i guess and that one just kind of went over my head you know a lot of these songs when you listen to them you listen to them when you're young mm-hmm. and so like At least, it's a phenomenon that I've noticed growing up, where it's like, as you grow up, there are certain words that you haven't heard yet, Mm. certain speech patterns that you haven't experienced really yet, but you hear them in songs, 
And so, like, you know, I've never heard someone say this phrase before <laughs> yeah. in real life, but I hear it on a song. And I don't know exactly what the words are he's saying. Mm. I just know that my head hears this vocal pattern that this person is making. You know, because, like, that's basically what all speech is. Speech is just vocal patterns, right? But when you're a kid, you haven't heard them all yet. They're still they're still unlocked in that in the video game of life, right? <laughs> you know, but when you hear them when you're young, your brain imitates them without really knowing what it means. Like, you know, like I- I've heard, you know, some kids sing uh, chingy lyrics, you know, give me what you got for a pork chop. Like, I know that kid doesn't actually know what give me what you got for a pork chop actually means. In fact, I don't think anyone knows what the fuck that means. No, I don't. <laughs> Like, are you honestly asking her to give you a, like, have sex with you for, for, for a pork chop? I can see that, though. I, I hear a lot of weird shit that doesn't seem to make any sense, you know? Like, I remember my, my first day of school, because I had went to elementary school up north, and my first day of school down here was my first day of high school, so it was fucking culture clash on my first day. And uh, people were reading books or whatever. And the teacher said, okay, uh, put your books up. And I was like, put it up? Like, <laughs> like lift it up in the air? Oh, oh, you mean put it away? <laughs> Why the fuck didn't you just say put it away? Or like some people will say like, hey, could you close the light? And I didn't know for the longest time. Like, I've only heard turn the light off. Give me what you got for a pork chop. She threw it at me. She threw it at me like I was a shortstop. I get that. Then working in a fatty girl hugger top. If there is a fucking brand called Fatty Girl Hugger Top, like we would have fucking seen it by now. <laughs> some some Buzzfeed list would have been like, remember this clothing from 2006? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Remember when you couldn't go anywhere without seeing people wearing Fatty Girl Hugger Tops? <laughs> you couldn't turn your head. Without seeing a fatty girl hug a top, I'm gonna throw that one to the comment section. If, if anyone, help us out. if anyone listening knows what a fatty girl hug a top is, uh, help us out. Um, fill that, fill that gap. What, like you were so kind to do with the uh, 69 try 68. I hate to say it, but I really don't know what else there is to uh, say about the album that we haven't said already. Um, yeah, I think I think that's why we're we're getting away from it so much. Not yeah. that it's bad, but it's just like it's just solid enough that there's not really a lot to say other than just experience it for yourself. In this instance, it's an above average pop album overall. I'd probably give it in the in the ballpark of a four because I don't have anything yeah. to really say about it that's negative. I thought all the songs are great. Um, the only reason I wouldn't give it a solid five is because I don't know if it would be something I would really go back and listen to per se like i enjoyed it and there might be a couple songs you know i might put in a playlist and listen to somewhere down the road remember that karma killer one where it starts off where that you've been naughty Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like nah he didn't just oh (laughs) that that, that, that could have been cut out uh but grace i absolutely loved grace uh grace and Millennium, where the two, like, absolute standout, you need to hear these uh, songs. But yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Like, it's not like, oh man, if you want to know about the 90s, you, boy, you, you gotta have this one in there. It's like, oh, well, you know, you know, 
I wouldn't ob- object to it being there, and it definitely is a solid enough on its own listen. But yeah, I, I understand like the sort of sense of like, it's not a five, but it's definitely a four. It's definitely a yo. Ch- it, like if you see it, check it out. Oh boy, I am uh, rubbing my hands together in anticipation. <laughs> But that's, uh, let's not act like that's why you're here today. <laughs> oh, yes, please. That is uh, simply the uh, the appetizer. That Those are the jalapeno poppers. That, that is the bloomin' onion for the, uh, for the T-bone steak, the filet mignon that we are about to uh, dig in to. This is a request from one of your uh, yes. lovely... Um, charitable, um, listeners. Uh, who is this? Michael Primula. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. <laughs> this was a delight. <laughs> so, oh. someone asked us to review Plan With Fire by Kevin Federline. Uh, K-Fed, please. I, dude, I didn't know that this came out so late. Right? Like, this is 2006. I was like, God damn, I thought the fame train was over by this point. What's really funny is uh, there's often parts in the album where he's talking about him and his wife. And you know yes! he's talking about Britney. And the album came out in October and it got divorced in November. <laughs> like, God Man. damn. He thought he had it sewed up. Oh, he thought he had it in the bag. <laughs> Made in the shade. Oh, not so fast, K-Fed. Oh, boy, howdy. Um, you know, I think it goes without Pride saying... Pride cometh before the fall. I, I think Weird Al said it best when he called Kevin Federline a talentless douchebag. Um... I, dude, I've never heard Weird Al go so hard on someone. Like, that usually doesn't happen. If he's ever dissing someone, it's usually sort of cutesy, tongue-in-cheek sort of shit. He was straight that up moment, yelling. That moment, in that that fake Weird Al interview, where he, like, was interviewing K-Fed, there was that one point where he was like, Weird Al does not like the fact that this man is famous. No, he was <laughs> fucking going in. That was the most savage I'd ever heard Weird Al. Didn't think he had it in him, but... Leave it to K-Fed to bring it out of the nicest guy in entertainment. <laughs> this is straight trash. Um, yeah. I don't remember if we do less than one, but holy shit, I'd make an exception for this crap. <laughs> um, you know what's funny? There's another surprise for me. In addition mm. to, wow, this came in that 1430 in his 15 minutes of fame what the fuck is Britney doing on here? Well, they were still together at this Why point. is she on his album, though? Dude, why would you, you know. wanna, Why would you even fucking stick your neck out? You've heard the album. You know it's garbage. Why would you <laughs> want your fucking name attached to that shit? You can love him. That's great. I'd question your judgment. But... I mean, she uh, married Kevin Fitterline. I already question her judgment. For two years they were married. I did not know they were together that long. Yeah, me neither. Apparently they had a TV show and everything. I didn't know that shit. I remember the TV show. It, apparently it only lasted five episodes. Some uh, yeah. reality show called Chaotic. I didn't watch it, but 
I remember it. I guess it was like, hey, I mean, newlyweds is po- is uh is really popular. The fucking Nick Lachey, Jessica Simpson show. People are craving these celebrity couples. People want to see it, especially when they're big fuck names like Britney Spears and her ex husband. Her husband, who's a, <laughs> who was a break dancer, who is bragging about selling drugs but we don't know if that's true and he wants you to call him the pancake man oh please call him the fucking pancake man jesus christ oh what the fuck was that i was like oh like the first couple of times you hear you're like wait a minute is is he trying to get this to catch on (laughs) does he does he really think people about to call him the pancake man K-Fed, a.k.a. The Pancake Man, beating down your block. (laughs) Oh, and he expected us to believe that he was some, like, revered drug dealer. What the fuck? Dude, did you see that video of, like, Suge Knight, like, calling him out? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, god damn, the fucking nobody liked him at this time. You know what's a relief, though, if I can go ahead and say that? No popozow. Popozao was, I guess, the single that whet people's appetite uh, for the album. Because it is not on here. It was just a yeah, standalone they, single. Yeah, they said it got in such bad reception. Like, the two songs that he did got... Uh, I, I can't remember what the two were. I think one of them might have been with Britney as well. Mm. They were so bad that people were like... That they did not include them on the album, and he had to create another single. That's how bad the reception was for them. Oh, so the 13 that they included, they thought those were up to snuff. Oh, yeah. You know, honestly, it's not... Like, I'll put it to you for real. He has a song on here called America's Most Hated, right? (laughs) Yeah. Here's the thing about Kevin Federline. I don't think anyone ever hated him. No. They were just annoyed at him like he's not like he's not like Polly Shore he's not like <laughs> you know he's not like celebrities that people like we hate them but they won't go away it was pretty easy to ignore Kevin Federline yeah <laughs> yeah it's like they don't actively hate you they're just annoyed by your presence they, they're just annoyed by the thought of you <laughs> yeah like and so like even that like even that claim that that they that he wanted to have doesn't really hold water. Like it's like, are you really hated? Are you really like insane clown posse? Could at least say like, oh. oh, we're the world's most hated band. All right, they can at least put that in their songs because you know people did actually hate them. This music isn't the sort of bad that is. Oh my god, I can't. Like Soldier Boy's album is that kind of bad. Oh yeah, and, and you know what? Actually, you know, people always ask me, what's the worst album I've ever heard? And I think I've come to a, you know, conclusion. I think the worst album I have ever heard is going to have to, Lil B's going to have to take the cake for that. Yeah. The thugged out, pissed off, because it's like, I couldn't even finish it. Right. Because he, as an artist, couldn't even, like, give me the respect of leaving before his welcome was worn out. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you're like, you really thought that everyone who would come across your music would want to listen to four hours of it. Yeah. Like, you really thought that? Like, the audacity. (laughs) The gall. It is inoffensive in that nothing is, 
Like, there are some bad lines. Yeah. But, like, it's mostly just an Eminem slash 50 Cent ripoff. Like, if you listen, there are parts where it's like, oh, oh he's he wants you to call him the bad guy. Or it's like, all right, you're trying to be like Eminem right now. And then, you know, there's times where he does the flow like this, which is really big. I mean, you know, like, um, what was that, what was that one... I'm the talk of the town. That's the reason why they stare. Like, the the way he was saying it was just like, you're trying to sound like 50 Cent, aren't you? <laughs> like, I, I, I can't explain it. It really is just like, you just have to hear how he's saying it. And it's just like, you're totally just aping these dudes' talk. Because they were like the two biggest people at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, 20, 2006, Eminem was like right off of the heels of Encore. And going into his, you know, I don't want to make music anymore state. And 50 Cent was still huge right before he got, you know, fucking smacked down by Kanye West in 2007. Britney Spears was the fucking executive producer on this album. And she's featured on a fucking track. Like I said before, she had to have known this was dog shit. She had to have listened to it. It possibly the worst song I've ever heard her on. Like, Jesus Christ. That was so bad. Like, the mixing... And just, like, look, I remember when I first heard this, when I first heard the song, I think it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, wow, who the fuck is the singer? They sound fucking horrible. That That's Britney Spears, isn't it? <laughs> like, it was just, like, the very second I heard it, I was just like, ugh, the mixing is bad. Like, the typical team that usually is behind her to make sure she at least fits with the music. You know what I'm saying? You could tell they were not there today. Who could fucking blame them? It's not like they needed to. You know? The fucking Pharrell or whoever the fuck was producing for her at the time, they didn't need to show up for the fucking Kevin Federline sessions. You know? And so her shit just sounds like plain and just like, yeah, it's that sort of Simmy trying to sound sexy, try-hard growl that she does. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and then, like, during the... um. The bridge part where she sings higher, it sounds even worse. <laughs> like, it's like, this really doesn't work right now. <laughs> and then just the fact that she has the lyrics, I'm crazy for loving you. It's just like, you know what? <laughs> it's like, it feels like one of those, is this one of those like confessional songs where it's like, I really wanted to say this, so I put it in a song. You know, like, uh, you know, like that, uh, 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 you know, that Michael Jackson song, Black or White, what he was really trying to say is, it shouldn't matter if I'm black or white, just listen to my music. Yeah. Coincidentally, he made that message around the time where he started looking light as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those, the song is about this, but it's kind of actually about this. (laughs) You know, like, please don't judge me for being in love with this person. I know I'm crazy. (laughs) You know who I have to give a special shout out to? And I made a video about this dude really early on. Back when it was still on YouTube, I think. J-J-J-J-J-R. I was about to say, I was like, you know what? That actually sounds right. When I saw that, when I saw the name JR, I was like, yep, that sounds right. That sounds right. Fellow culture vultures sticking together. Here are just a few of the other songs <laughs> that J.R. Rodham produced. In uh, 2006. Oh. SOS by Rihanna. Okay. Doesn't sound bad. I remember that one. Yeah. I Want yeah. You by Paris Hilton. How about that? <laughs> yup. All right. That makes that makes perfect 
fucking sense. Of course, the dude who produced for Kevin Federline also produced for Paris fucking Hilton's uh, vanity album. I see a review here. It said it was a review from the Associated Press that actually gave the Kevin Federline album a somewhat uh, positive review, saying it was a credible, entertaining debut, uh, praising tracks such as Privilege, Keep On Talking, and your favorite, Crazy. Oh my god! Yo, we gotta talk about privilege! Yo! Did this white dude who literally got famous just from fucking busting a nut in a famous singer... Like, that's literally what he is! Yeah. He's a white guy who got who became a millionaire because he just happened to bust a nut in a famous singer. Did this dude really just make a song about being privileged? <laughs> it, the jokes write themselves, folks. <laughs> Like, it, it, when I heard the chorus happening, like, when I heard it, it was like, pour me another glass of privilege, I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> like, this man did not just hand me the review on a fucking silver platter. He couldn't have been more oblivious to his own fucking <laughs> stature in life. <laughs> I was like, get the fuck out of here <laughs> with the bullshit. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, he's in The League of My Own. That, that's, a, that's a track. That's a song on here called The League of My Own. <laughs> the one that I think made me laugh the most and I roll the hardest with uh, was uh, Dance with a Pimp. Oh, <laughs> these titles. They're so just like, dude, it's stop so it. It's so embarrassing, dude. Stop it. <laughs> like, and, and I wonder if he has, like, grown or matured at all. Because I really <laughs> wonder, in 2018, how just dreadfully ashamed and embarrassed he is of this album. Like, <laughs> if you walked up to him on the street and started fucking singing the hook to Snap. Uh, I snapped. I snapped. Oh, I, I snapped my fingers and everything comes to me. <laughs> if like, he would just fucking punch you in the goddamn face. Or <laughs> if he would just be like, hey, shit, yeah. And he would just fucking join in and start singing <laughs> along with you. Just totally oblivious that you're making fun of him. He'd be happy that someone remembers it. <laughs> yeah. He'd be so, he's so happy that someone remembers a song other than Popo Zao. This album is, I, I, th- I think I heard you say it. In a in an episode before, I think it was on Insane Cloud Posse. Actually, this song, this album is oozing douches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the worst things I listened to, and unenjoyable throughout. I think there was like one song that I thought was decent. I think it was caught up. I oh, the one where he's like, "Oh man, dealing with." My uh, 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 problems. Yeah, it's uh, like I didn't believe it, <laughs> but it was the one song that wasn't just douche brag shit. It was like he actually kind of took a step back and was like, "Hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna record a serious one." Yeah, and, and the thing about it is, it was like it seemed like it was too serious. <laughs> yeah, it didn't it didn't fit at all. No, like, cause, yeah, I thought it was gonna be about like, oh, like world problems or something like that because <laughs> the chorus what does he say in the chorus he's like um well, if i could fucking find the lyrics anywhere good luck with that oh, oh he says uh uh caught up fist balled up 
fight for what's right. That's how I was brought up. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, all right. But then he's, you know, because that sounds like, oh, you're talking about a social issue. Fight for for what's right. Fight for, you know, like our fists are balled up. Ah, we're angry. And it's like, but now it's, but it's about my emotions. I felt love. Now my emotions are caught up. And I'm like, wait, what? That, hmm. <laughs> like, you, you you gave a little too much. And, that, and, like, you know, like, all throughout this whole album, you've not been trying that hard. And now it sounds like you're doing something a little too ambitious. And then it's just like, oh, wait, never mind. It was just another fucking love song. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know I've said this before, but this is uh, the onest album to ever won. It's not terrible. It's just obnoxious and it's boring. And yeah. it's just so full of itself. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say this. At times, it re- it reminded me of the Macho Man album <laughs> that we reviewed at MAGFest. It had a lot of the same feel of, like, it felt like an album just whipped together for someone who just wanted to have a rap album. No real passion for it. Just kind of wanted to have a thing out there. But with Macho Man's, you can tell he was actually having fun. You could tell it was something he wanted to do. This album just feels like... I'm famous. This is what I'm supposed to do. When you're famous, yeah, you release a rap album telling everybody, look how great I am. You know what I mean? And it also feels like, oh shit, people are starting to stop talking. Uh, People are starting to stop talking about me. I gotta give them something else so they keep talking about me because what the fuck else am I doing to give them a reason to talk about me. I'm not doing anything. I'm just yeah. standing here next to someone else doing something. I gotta fucking release an album. And universally panned. That This isn't fucking breaking new ground saying this album is trash. I'm looking at these Yeah, reviews. this isn't like some secret gym. <laughs> yeah, no. Fucking Billboard gave it a 12 out of 100. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it an F. Everybody across the board gave it a one or less than a one. It's just, it's not entertaining at all. And it's not even so bad it's good, which is the worst part. Like, you'd think, oh shit, Kevin Federline, fucking K-Fed 2007 or whatever. The guy who fucking actually fought John Cena on an episode of Raw. I gotta listen to this because I know it's gonna be like the fucking room. It's gonna be so oblivious to how bad it is. But no, it's just a collection of really, really weak brag lines that don't go anywhere. And it's a guy that's thinking way too highly of himself and thinks that he has way more of a a reputation than he really does. Because people, like you said before, he wasn't hard to ignore. He wasn't making a big noise, a ruckus. He wasn't bringing a lot of attention to himself. Like I said before, he was just standing next to someone else who was doing all that for him. And he just happened to be there, too. That's what makes songs like America's Most Hated. It's like, that is not even appropriate for you. Like, <laughs> you haven't even earned that, you God, know? no. You have to work harder to be hated. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then you have Lose Control. The I think that was the first official single. Because, mm. like I said, you know, here's the thing. Like, with a lot of artists... You know, you can hate Nicki Minaj right now, but she has a lot of people who do like her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, all right, if if she's, like, a really hated artist, I get that. 
And the reason why that hate is compounded is because she's so popular. With this person, it's like, there's not even the chance for that. It's just like, so it's all just a pose. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, specifically, he, the, the first line in this Lose Control song, he says, Don't hate because I'm a superstar. And I married a superstar. Never coming between us no matter who you are. Oh, man. Oh, and then that chorus where he's like, oh, this is hip-hop flavor mixed with a little bit of rock and roll. And that Lose Control song, I was like, no, the fuck it's not. There's like one electric guitar in the background playing one note. Almost every line in that song could be easily followed up by a fucking sample of Donald Trump from that debate just going, wrong. (laughs) It's it's mixed with a little bit of rock and roll. Wrong. You're just mad that I'm a superstar. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> like, oh, and then he said, no, we're not. <laughs> like, stop putting words in my mouth, you dick. Look, I am going to give this album a two out of five. Mm. And the reason why it's even that high mm-hmm. is because the studio people that put in work for the music, like, they were like, you know what? I, this is an exercise day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> let, let, let's put out what we're working on, you know, and give it to him. And it's like, you know, a lot of it doesn't sound that bad. The, um, what's, what's, what's the name of that song? Uh, the, the, uh, the kept on talking. Mm. It's like, hmm, if, if you got a rapper who was actually good at, like, MCing, this could actually be an enjoyable song. Like, I can hear the good songs that these could be. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But as they are, it's just like average. And then specifically with him, they're less than average. The only thing that this could matter in is the fucking footnote of Britney Spears' career. Like, you know, this this album is the further reading. Like, at the end of the chapter, you know, like, to hear how, just how far Britney fell from, uh, from Grace, you know? Check out this song she did with her then-husband, Kevin Vinterline. In parentheses, uh, no need to check out the rest of the album. In fact, you, you really shouldn't. Well, that about does it for the Going Off podcast. <laughs> that does it. I'm done that, with this stupid fucking album. <laughs> that tears it. This is it. We're done. <laughs> Um, if you have an album that you want us to talk about on the podcast, check out either of our Patreons, patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse for details. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. If this is your first time listening to our show, which I, um, which I'm noticing more and more happens to be the case, just judging from the comments that we're getting a lot of new faces checking out the show, (laughs) which is awesome if they like every aspect of the show or not, is irrelevant. Thank you for listening. Um, But if this is your first time listening, all of our old episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search Goin, G-O-I-N, apostrophe, off podcast. And until next week for the Going Off Podcast, I'm Muse. And I'm the Rav Critic, and I got L.A. feeling like Vegas. Nobody dies. I'm forgetting that I'm famous, which <laughs> is such a sad line from this album. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know, but I just love the fact that it's like, I forgot that I was famous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, tune in next week to the uh, Going Off podcast with Rap Critic and the Pancake Man. <laughs>